0: everybody. How are we? Good, good. Okay, so we are jumping into a new series. Uh, I'm excited about it. I am, uh, if I'm honest, I'm a little nervous about it um, because of my fear of man and my own sin, and I want it to be awesome, and I want it to be God-glorifying, and I want it to be all these things that I don't actually have control of. And so I've just got to surrender and rest in him. And I, I love that. I love that truth. Uh, so um, we're doing a series on, on barriers. And I'm going to tell you a story uh, just because I was feeling it today. And I was like, I'm going to tell this story because it's a really good story about barriers. Some of you guys have heard it. Um, my wife is not here tonight. And so I was like, I'm definitely telling it because my <laughs> wife is not here. Um, I asked her permission. And she said I had permission to share this story. And uh, you guys have, have heard this, uh, a lot of you. Um, it's about our first kiss. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of you know this, right? Uh, you, you know where I'm going with this, which is also why I tell it why my wife is not here. Which, by the way, she has the flu, so pray for her, please, whenever you get a chance. Yep, thank you. Light a candle and pray for my wife while she's uh, suffering through the flu. Okay, so, um, all right, so he, here's, here's what happened. I started dating this girl, Danielle Archibald, and uh, she is beautiful inside and out, this incredible woman. And so um, we've been dating for a little bit, and it was time for the first kiss. In fact, I have a picture of us. Uh, there we are. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. I wish we could make it bigger. And you just see the hair, the mop. That was me. That was in 2003, folks. Yep, there we were. That was pre-Facebook. That's, a, that's when we had actual photographs that uh, people in pharmacies gave you. Um, there it is, man. There's the, my wife uh, there. This was actually before. This was about a year before our first kiss. It was before we started dating. Um, and, uh, but that hug, you can see the sparks, right? <laughs> like that, we weren't even dating at the time. I just had a mad crush on her for a long period of time, but she was obviously out of my league. Uh, that right there was the height of my coolness, by the way. That was as cool as Ben Fuquay ever got, and it's just been downhill, a sad spiral ever since then. Um, but there we were, right? I just wanted you to have this image in your mind of uh, the goofiness of me and, and uh, my beautiful wife. And so we've been dating for a while. You can take that off the screen, please, God. Please, yes, thank you. <clears throat> uh, so we had been dating for a little while, and it was time, right? It was time to move in for the kiss, right? To, to seal the, right? The sparks were going, and it was like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kiss her tonight. Tonight, I'm gonna, kiss, I'm gonna kiss this girl that I'm crazy about. And so, guys, we kissed, and it was amazing, yeah, uh, Chike was there. Uh, no, I, don't just kidding. I don't even know if that was Chike. It just sounded like a Chike whoop. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome if Chike was there? We kissed and then out. Anyway, sorry. am getting so distracted tonight. I apologize. Uh, so we kissed and there were sparks and it was beautiful and it was amazing. And then this thing happened. Then this happened. And This is why I tell us when she's not in the room. Uh, then my now current bride of over 10 years, uh, our first kiss Right there, we were, I was getting some lip. She, she burped in my mouth. First kiss ever, she burped in my mouth. And then, and then she tried to play it off, right? And I was like, this is too gold. like. And I was like, did you just burp, right? And then when I asked her if she burped, she loses it and just starts laughing. And when my wife starts laughing, she tinkles. And so then, not only did she just Burp in my mouth on our first kiss, but then she tinkled a little bit. That's what we call it in the Fuquay family. Tinkled a little bit because she was laughing so hard because she had just burped in my mouth on our first on our first ever kiss, right? Which now you know why I tell that story when my wife is not in the room, um, with her with her permission too. I I ask her, <clears throat> right? So that was it, right? That was the that was the beginning of what is now the greatest earthly relationship I have, um, and. Uh, I, you know, it, it, was, it was awesome, right? Here's the deal. I tell that story, one, because it's fun, and I wanted to tell it because she wasn't in the room. But also, I tell that story because um, that was one of those things, and where we're going with this series, um, there are barriers, right? There are barriers in our relationship with Christ. And if I, right, that goofy guy who was dating a girl so far out of my league, like she was so far out of my league, um, if I would have let right the first kiss burp be the barrier, right, or the tinkling, either one of those things... If I would have turned either one of those things into deal breakers, right, then then I would not have what is the greatest earthly relationship uh, in this world with this incredibly godly mom and wife and all of the things uh, that Danielle is. And so it was was this moment where that wasn't even a, it was a barrier that was able to instantly get knocked down. Um, Now watch this smooth transition. Uh, that, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, the next several weeks, all through the month of March too, uh, we're going to get into this series talking about the barriers that might keep us or people we love or people we know or people we do life with from the most important relationship in their entire eternity. And, and we as a church, as a ministry, have got to be really honest. I want us to be really honest to say, now what are those barriers? Let's stare Hard at those barriers. Let's be honest with them. Let's approach the culture around us. Let's be honest with ourselves and look at hard barriers that maybe keep us from walking in the fullness that we're called to in a, in a relationship with Christ, but also in some cases, just even taking some of those first steps in a walk with Christ. That is where we're going over the next few weeks. And each week, we're going to try to really unpack here's, a, here's something that would get in the way, here's something that, uh, that a lot of people won't continue on in a relationship. As soon as they hit this barrier, and so um, that, that's where we're at. I want to show you a video of uh, Hillary, um, who I talked into um, shooting a little video, just a little bit about her testimony, and specifically, I was kind of asking some questions about the barriers that she was running into early in her faith, and and uh, and that kind of thing. So, whenever we got that video, let's uh, let's take a look at Hillary. My name is Hillary
1: Omrine and the barrier that kept me from really walking with the Lord was that I had never encountered a community that wanted to um, answer or wrestle with hard questions. So I grew up in a family that loved the Lord and took us to church, and we were kind of immersed in a Christian culture um, throughout, throughout high school, and it wasn't until I went to college that I really encountered a professor who was really smart and really good and wanted the best it seemed like for people and wanted to change the world and yet she totally disagreed with what I believed in and so I I started questioning these these hard things of there's, there's only one way to heaven and there's no way that we just got it right by convenience that I was born into this family who, um, who somehow Got the lucky end of the stick, and we were the ones who were gonna get to heaven. and so i I started wrestling with these hard things that I had read in the Bible or that Christians believed. and I sought out a church and people who believed in Christianity, and I started asking these really hard questions. And it just seemed like no one no one either had ever thought about them or or maybe thought about them, but didn't have answers to them and didn't really care to have answers to them. And it wasn't until um, I came to Texas and um, experienced a community of people who who I could have really hard questions with, and and there wasn't just these pat answers, but people were willing to wrestle with me through them, and there was really smart, intelligent people who, who, yes, believed in truth and that that faith was needed, and yet were able and not scared to wrestle with hard things. to talk about the things that culture was talking about, Um, and Um, I am so thankful to have been introduced to a community who points me back to a God who isn't scared of my hard questions, and who will uh, wrestle with me through them, and and my hope and prayer in all this is that if there's people who have really hard questions, they'll bring them to the table and keep bringing them to the table, and they won't give up on God because of it.
0: Gosh, I love that. <clears throat> um, what, uh, what Hillary kind of unpacked in, in that is, uh, is what I want to jump into with this first barrier. And, and really, it's asking the question, uh, is the church a place for people with doubts? Um, I think her honesty and vulnerability is something that connects to, I would say if we're honest, I, I, would, I would think most of this room at some point or the other has felt like, man, there's, quest- there's hard questions I have. There's some intellectual doubts I have. There's some, there's some things that I'm struggling with. Is the church a place that I can come to and really get answers and really wrestle with things and really push back on things? Or am I just going to be told, no, 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 you just have to have faith. No, no, you just believe. Don't ask those hard questions. And, and so I want us to start this series with that question, and we're going to answer uh, a couple of things uh, in the course of this night. So, so is the church a place for people with doubts? And then what do we do with those doubts? Turn with me to John chapter 20. Verses 24 through 29, we're going to throw it up on the screen also, if that's easier for you. Um, but John chapter 20, this is, uh, this is um, just a real obvious spot to go to when we talk about what do we do with someone who has doubts. Uh, there's a disciple, Thomas, who actually has the nickname, for those of you guys who grew up in church and have been around it, Doubting Thomas. So we're going to see this interaction. We're going to see how Jesus dealt with Thomas in chapter 20. I'm going to start in 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was now with them, was not with them when Jesus came. So this is after Jesus died and risen again, he has shown up to certain disciples. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas has not seen the risen Jesus, okay? So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, I love this, I love this, this honesty. He said, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side I will never believe 8 days later it says in verse 26 8 days later his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them although the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you then he said to Thomas put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He looks at Jesus, this man he has followed, this rabbi he has followed, and says, you are my Lord, you are my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And then he talks about us right here. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Um, I love that passage. I love that passage, and I love that the author, that John here in this gospel, has decided to put that in there. He put this in here, this is in the book for a reason. Um, and I think one of the beautiful things that we see in this is yes, this beautiful power of faith. I mean, we're not gonna be able to talk about doubts and we're not gonna be able to just create this argument where, no, it's all about intellectual understanding and everything can be proved and you know, every nail scar can be touched by all of us. There is faith involved in, in the Christian walk. There is faith. It is impossible to please God without faith, scripture says. Right? We see that time and time again that faith is gonna be a part of this. But look at Thomas. He says, yeah, man, I've gotta see though. I've gotta see. And Jesus' posture is to show up to show up and to know Thomas' doubts, and to say, "Come and be verified, the patience of Jesus Christ, to say, "Come and verify, verify that I am the risen Jesus Christ." Here's the scars. Here's the scar in my side, here's the scar in my, in my hands. I think tonight, and I think the series is for everyone. Right? I, I think to spend several weeks wrestling with barriers, doubts, hard issues, I think it's for everyone, right? I think yes. My hope is that these weeks are impactful if you are in a place where you have doubts and maybe have yet to even step into a relationship with Christ. Praise God that you're here, right? Praise God that you're here. We all have doubts. And, and my hope is even tonight as we unpack some of this, that if you're in this room and you say, man, I've got some major doubts keeping me from following Jesus, or maybe I used to follow Jesus, but now I've, I've kind of wandered away because I've run into some things that just don't make sense. I've seen some things that are now barriers that really have just turned me off to who this guy, I mean, if those people follow him, if that's what they believe, and I'm not getting sufficient answers, man, I love that, and I love that you're here, right? I think God wants to take you someplace. I think God, over the next few weeks, tonight, I think the Holy Spirit not my doing, not Renovate's doing. I think the Holy Spirit is going to change your life. I don't think it's an accident that you were here tonight. Right? And you're welcome here. I love, we say this all the time here at Renovate and, and, and the college ministry and all throughout this church. Um, we talk about this idea that you can belong before you have to believe. Right? That you can belong before you have to believe um, in, in the, the community that the, the church should look like. And make no mistake... When, when you die, you're going to stand before the Lord, and those who are not in Christ are going to have nothing to show for that, right? Our good deeds, our church attendance isn't going to mean anything if we're not in Christ. So make no mistake, there's a decision that has to be made, but in our life, I love the invitation, and I love that we say all the time, man, you can belong before you have to believe, so keep coming. You know where we ripped that off of? You know what ministry we stole that from? We stole it from Jesus, Right? Belong. he he constantly was fellowshipping, spending time gathering people who weren't ready to see him as the Messiah. They were not ready to surrender. I mean, one of his closest 12 guys never bought in, right? And in fact, betrayed him, Judas. But man, our hope is that you here tonight, if you've got doubts, you bring them and you know this is a safe place. Because what, what John 20 tells me is that we have doubts and we can bring them to our God. We can bring them to our community. We say, man, I've, I'm wrestling with this. I need proof, guys. I need more proof. I need more help in this. There's some, some big barriers there. Um, I love that. This place should be safe for that. I can't promise you that it always will be, but it should be safe for that. If the church, and I don't just mean Christ Chapel, I don't just mean renovate. I mean, if the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing and have the posture, then it should be a safe place for people who are wrestling with hard questions, and we should be able to walk alongside anyone in any season of doubt that they're wrestling in. But secondly, our our hope, and even for tonight, and I hope the other side of the lens that you look through this is maybe, yeah, you're going to get some fuel for how to deal with some of your doubts, but also my hope is that you become equipped through tonight and through this series that you become more equipped to walk with other people. You know that if you are in Christ, if if you're in this room and you say, man, I'm a follower of Christ, I am at Renovate, I I am involved because I am following Christ and I want to follow him more, what you have been saved to is a mission. Man, we talk about that more than probably anything else around here other than the grace of God. You have been saved to a mission. Right, to follow Christ is to make disciples, and so our hope is that you hear some of this tonight, and you take notes, and you make you make mental notes, and you say, "Man, I'm going to be more equipped to walk with people who like Hillary's story, like my story. When I was a 19-year-old, right? That was that was my story. I didn't I couldn't find people who had good answers. I didn't I couldn't find people who wanted to help me find answers. I just found people who said, no, you just got to believe.' And I had legitimate intellectual problems with some of the, some of the things that I was." asked to believe, and I was like, man, you guys gotta help me, like, yeah, you just gotta believe, and it is impossible to please God without faith, but I think there's a place for the doubter to, I think there's a place for the doubter to in the community of God, and so my hope is that we become more equipped, and if you look at your life and say, I don't really, I don't really do life with a lot of doubters, like, I don't spend a lot of time with people who are doubting, I don't, these aren't conversations, like, people aren't coming up to me saying, like, hey, man, why do you believe, and I'm really wrestling with this, and these aren't, so I don't know what I'm being equipped to, because I'm not having those conversations Let me challenge you. Maybe you're not having those conversations because you're not approachable, right? Maybe you're not having those conversations because you're not boldly stepping in. Maybe you're not having those conversations because you're not every day on your way to work praying and praying, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to speak truth? Would you give me an opportunity to help tear down a barrier between a coworker or a roommate or a friend or a family member, right? Maybe the reason that sometimes it doesn't feel like we're on mission is because we are being passive. And so to that, I would say, if you're thinking, I I don't really know what I'm being equipped for, I don't really feel, then let me challenge you right off the bat, put yourself in a hard place. Put yourself in a place where you're going to need to be equipped to answer hard questions. Three things tonight. Three things are what we're going to accomplish. Three steps to say, okay, how do we move from being in a place of doubting, right, maybe doubting to a, a degree that's keeping us from a relationship, keeping us from a next step in a relationship with God, how do we move from From A to Z. How do we do that? If we're paralyzed by doubts, if we run into this, how do we move? How do you move? And then also, how do you lead someone else? So, the first one is this Be honest with the root of your doubt. So, right off the bat, if you're in this room or you're walking with somebody in this room who has doubts, who has these barriers, we've got to be honest with our doubts um, and really the root of where that doubt's coming from. And here's what I mean. Every, every barrier we're going to talk about really has one of three sources, okay? There's really three sources. There's just about every barrier that we're going to face in our walk. There, are these. Uh, the first one is an intellectual barrier. We might have an intellectual barrier to following God. And those are logical. Um, maybe we feel like there's not enough evidence for Scripture. Man, can we really believe that the authors wrote this? Can we believe this is infallible? Uh, you know, maybe it's the, the resurrection of Christ. Maybe there's all kinds of intellectual things that we find, uh, that people find are stumbling blocks for them. I just can't, get you know, it feels like a fairy tale. Man, this thing feels like a fairy tale, and there's some logical fallacies that I'm really going to have to wrestle with. Intellectual barrier, that, that's one. Second is an emotional barrier. Maybe somebody, maybe it's not an intellectual thing at all, it's an emotional thing. It's not that they're not following God, it's not that you're not following God because of an intellectual objection to who God is or who Christ is, it's that you don't like Him, right? It's that, it's that to follow that God, maybe what the, the people of God have represented to you, um, what it means to follow Him, right? Uh, it, it's, I don't want that, I don't like that, I am angry at that God because of the life I have lived, because of what, if there is a God, And he made me go through these things in my life. If there is a God and I experience this loss and this hurt, I'm mad at that God. So it's not an intellectual thing. It's an emotional barrier that's keeping us from following Christ. Or the third is a volitional barrier, right? A volitional barrier is, I just don't want to, right? A volitional barrier is, why would I want to follow Christ with my life and surrender to him? I would rather live for myself, right? It's not intellectually I disagree in a God, right? It's, it's not that I'm mad at God. It's just the life I'm living I'm addicted to. The life I'm living I'm enjoying, at least I think I am. I, I, I want to chase what I want to chase. And so it's just, of, it's just of the will. I don't want to follow God. So let me give you an example. I'm going to unpack. I'm going to use actually the example that Hillary talked about. And I'm going to unpack what it might look like to kind of walk someone through those Three barriers, right? Um, so Hillary brought up this idea, this intellectual barrier, which um, I, I really connected to as a 19-year-old, and it was this. When I was 19, I was living in Moscow, Russia. On the, I decided to go into ministry, and I was doing like a missions thing. And my family was all still in Texas, and so I was like a missionary kid, right? As a 19-year-old, supposed to like help people like know Jesus. And I started wrestling with all these intellectual barriers. And probably the biggest one, I thought, I thought she articulated well in the video, was how convenient is this, right? Like, I grew up in the church. I don't know if this is y'all's story. I grew up in the church. My parents were involved. My grandparents were real involved. Like, I was like a church kid. I did young life. Like, I was like a good church kid. I knew the answers. And all of a sudden, I got in a different culture. And I got surrounded by a whole bunch of people who did not grow up in Garland, Texas, around the church constantly in every corner, right? And all of a sudden, I started to realize, like, how convenient is this? I just happened to be born in the right family. And so the intellectual barrier kind of becomes this, um, it becomes the exclusivity of Christ, right? Like I, have a, I, I had a problem with the exclusivity of Christ, that Jesus is the only way. And I thought, man, just how convenient that I'm just born into the only way and all these other people who were born into other families, well, sorry, man, you just, I guess, weren't born into the right family. And so I, I had a major problem and it really caused, and I really withdrew a lot and I really sought after and I, and I had a hard time finding people that could help me wrestle through an answer with that. Um, And then eventually I found some people who did and I found some authors who did and I really felt like, okay, I was able to move from that. So let me practice with you what it might look like to move somebody from an intellectual hurdle of of the exclusivity of Christ. Um, Let me give this caveat too. On stage, preaching at someone intellectual arguments in a debate style format of let me tell you why this argument's wrong and this argument was wrong is not what I wanna model for you. That's not what I'm trying to model for you. What I want to do is I want to model what a conversation would look like. So what I don't want is, uh, and what would be horribly dangerous for the church, is if we hear this and say, oh, yeah, these are the arguments we should make to prove exclusivity correct, right? And then we use that as ammo against people. If that happens, then we are missing it, right? What we're called to do is be in relationship conversationally. So let me show you what a conversation might look like. I'm struggling with the arrogance, of Christianity, right? The arrogance of Christianity, think that we're the only way and everyone else is wrong, I'm struggling with that. And so you might approach me and you might say, okay, you might identify that as an intellectual barrier. Man, there's an intellectual barrier there and, and I'm, I'm upset about the cultural Christianity gets, gets a pass and this narrow-mindedness that we're the only way. Well, what you might say to me, for one, for one is that cultural Christianity doesn't get into heaven. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who, grew up going to First Baptist wherever, or grew up going to Christ Chapel Bible Church, or grew up going to church every Sunday, did the little children's kids camp thing, and maybe they sang the songs, and they did all that, and they do not know Christ. They're not in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, right? So right there off the bat, I think even to the idea and the stumbling block for me that, oh man, all these cultural Christians get in, but all these families don't know. Cultural Christians don't get in. Just because we were born in a moral, conservative, Christian family in the South doesn't mean that you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, that starts to disarm me to be like, okay, that helps me a little bit. But still, there's a narrow-mindedness to it, right? Am I right? Like, there's just a narrow-mindedness and an arrogance that we are the only one that gets in. So then maybe you'd direct me into Scripture. And you'd say, man, let's look at the claims of Jesus because Jesus makes some exclusive some exclusive claims and he is authoritative in his exclusive claims and he says things like I am the way the truth and the light, life no one gets to the father except through me right he's claiming to be the fulfillment of the entire old testament right the solution for the old testament faith is now manifested in the person and work of Jesus Christ And now he is the sacrifice for our sins and he makes these exclusive claims. And so when we see that and that arrogance bothers us and maybe I say, well, I think there's lots of paths. Here's the problem with that. Just intellectually, here's the problem with that. It's a fallacy. It's a fallacy because to say there are lots of paths, Jesus is one of many paths, is a very culturally sensitive thing to say. Unfortunately, if I were to say that, Lovingly, somewhere along the line, hopefully you could point out to me that, wait a second, that doesn't make sense because that is an exclusive claim. To say that Jesus is not the only way is an exclusive claim. We both, we both can't be right. And so uh, I, could say, um, I could say this pin is black, right? Or I'll say this pin is blue. Josh says, no, this pin is black, right? But somebody else says we're both right? the relativity of that truth, we would reject. And we would say, no, that, that, that can't be. Like, either Josh is right or I'm right. But we both can't be right. We're both making exclusive claims about who Christ is. And so the hope would be that we start to kind of show people, okay, there's some intellectual things that we need to step into. Because maybe, and here's what I want us to unpack with these barriers, maybe it's not really an intellectual barrier. And this is what I want you to see. Maybe I say I have a problem with the arrogance of Christianity, And I say, man, it's just so narrow-minded that there's only one way. And then you say, well, you're saying there's one way. I mean, technically, you're saying there's multiple gods, but you are denying Jesus. You're saying what Jesus said was not true. And then maybe you realize, okay, it's not really an intellectual barrier. Maybe I thought it was. But maybe it's just because that's an emotional barrier. Because to say that Jesus is the only way. And if you're in this room, man, I get it. To say Jesus is the only way and to know people who you have loved who have died, who did not know Jesus. Guys, if that's not an emotional thing, I don't know what is. I mean, do we realize, Christians in this room, do we realize the weight of that? Do we realize how it's totally reasonable for somebody to pause at that, maybe stumble at that? Do we realize how gentle and cautious we need to be as we walk with friends of ours who are really struggling with some of these barriers? Because that's an emotional barrier for me. If I say, okay, so Jesus is the only way, but my dad didn't know Jesus and he died of cancer a few years ago. Jesus is the only way, but my family, none of them are Christian. We weren't born in the family you were born. Jesus is the only way, but I've lost loved ones who didn't know Jesus. So what are you telling me? Now, is that, is that emotional barrier reason to invalidate truth? no. Is it something to be crazy compassionate for? Is it something to hurt alongside somebody with? Is it somebody to patiently walk and pray and meet them where they're at? Absolutely it is. So we step on the other side of that barrier, and and we identify it's not an intellectual barrier. It's an emotional barrier. Or or maybe it's not emotional. See how this has worked. Maybe it's volitional. And I want to live the life I want to live. And so I'm going to take these stances, but really... I'm going to live the life that I want to live. I don't want to surrender my life to Christ. I don't want to live this Christian life and do all these Christian things. And I, I'm not excited about that. I'm not into that. I want to be, I want to be my own God. And there's a volitional barrier there. <clears throat> if you are in this room and there are some really good doubts, really good barriers, know that there should be. In fact, if you're in this room and there's some barriers for you and you just heard me kind of go through that diatribe, my hope would be that you are, my assumption would be that you are very unsatisfied with that, right? Because that is a three-minute flyover of a really complicated issue that I just oversimplified. In fact, I would hope that you would say, okay, you're gonna have to show me where Jesus actually makes an exclusive claim, right? You're gonna have, there's all kinds of things we have to walk through there. And then, and then I would walk us to the idea of if Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did, then all of it really just hinges on if Jesus really made exclusive claims, and we open up scripture together, and we start digging through it. Man, Old Testament's pointing to it, New Testament's point The words of Jesus, the words of Paul, the Bible's pointing to this exclusive claim, and he said that he was the God of the universe, and he said that he was going to die for the sins of mankind, and that he was gonna be raised again for three days, and you know what that does? It's now shifted our conversation from talking about exclusivity to talking about the resurrection. And so, friend, if you're in this room, and you struggle with that, I mean, my encouragement is you walk out of here, and you're like, man, we were all over the place, intellectually, I encourage you to walk out of here and say, I want to look at the resurrection. Because if this guy really made those claims, if, he, if, if there really was, a, if there was a historical Jesus, and if that Jesus who said these things died and then actually three days later, you know what happens with a dead body in three days? A lot. But if he walked out of the tomb and was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people and he rose and ascended, if that really historically happened, that changes everything. Everything hinges on that resurrection. And so then it becomes this conversation, of man, let's walk together through this. Let's try to get through this barrier together. But we gotta be honest with what that barrier is. Is it intellectual? Is it emotional? Is it volitional? Is it a little bit of both? In my life as a believer, I got all kinds of barriers still, right? Not just coming to know the Lord, but in my walk still. I wanna encourage you, be honest with the root of that. Be honest with the root of your doubt. What is the root of your doubt? Are you using intellectual arguments to protect from actually a really hard emotional issue that you'd rather not deal with? Or, a, or a, a, an issue of the will that you just don't really want to follow and so we use these arguments. Um, let's be honest with that. The second thing. The second thing is we, I want to encourage you and, and you to walk with others to be bold and seek out Truth. We need to be honest with the root and we need to be bold and seek out truth. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20 says this. It says, don't quench the spirit, Paul says. Don't despise prophecy. I love verse 21, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, right? Test everything, hold fast to what is good. One of the things that I love about scripture, I love about Paul, Paul wrestled with these things. The apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, he wrestled with this hard truth. And so if we identify that we've got some doubts in our life and we're honest with where those doubts are coming from, we say, okay, man, there's some heart issues here, then my encouragement to you is to be bold and seek out truth. What does that look like? It looks like finding somebody who you trust, right? It looks like coming and continuing to listen because maybe that's all right now you can do. You're not ready to start a relationship. You're not ready to be approached to coffee with somebody who's going to start pushing back on some of these. Just listening, Is Jesus really who he said he was? Because you realize what is at stake. You realize what's at stake. Uh, Pascal's wager is um, a a pretty famous thing. I know a lot of you guys have heard it, but Pascal had this wager, and uh, he he spent a lot of time with with atheists, and he had this wager, and he said, okay, so uh, he he was a believer, and he said, so if if you're right, there is no God, and I'm wrong that there is a God. If you're right and I'm wrong, uh, then when we die, you really don't gain anything right, if there is no God, if there, if there isn't. And I don't really lose anything because I live this life of purpose and this life of faith, right? Um, and so you're right, I'm wrong. You don't gain anything and I don't really lose anything ultimately. But if I'm right, Pascal said, if there is a God, if there is a higher power, if, there, if this is true, right, if I'm right and you're wrong, then when we die, you lose everything. And Pascal said, and I gain everything. And so why we fight so hard why we spend time talking about barriers, why we should care about this, series? why we should lean into this is because what's at stake? What's at stake in, in your life? Maybe a saving relationship with Christ, but maybe it's just other doubts in your life that we're going to talk about here in a second, right? What is at stake at your life when we just ignore those, when we just choose to be lazy and say, no, I'm not going to approach those? What's at stake is great. What's at stake at the people around you to say, man, I'm going to be equipped I'm gonna be equipped and encouraged and sent out to go and try to help break down some barriers because that's what I'm called to do as a missionary. That's what I'm called to do as a follower of Christ. Be bold, seek out truth. And then the last thing is this. Last thing is do while you doubt. Um, I really want to encourage you that in the midst of your doubting, Uh, like the song we sang, that you would rest in him. I would really encourage you in the midst of those hard questions, as you're asking those hard questions, uh, as you're wrestling with doubt in your own life, as you're walking with somebody else that's wrestling, that you would encourage them, keep taking baby steps one foot in front of the other. Let me read this story. It's 10 verses in in Mark chapter nine. It's so good. Um, I I love this. We actually talked about this on Sunday morning a few weeks ago. Um, Our senior pastor did. It's nine verse 17 through 27. I'm gonna read it over you. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And what, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So he's a frustrated dad whose son is hurting. His son is hurting and possessed and, and convulsing, and disciples can't do anything. And he answered them, "Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? on and help us. Hey, if you're in this room and you've got doubts, if you're in this room and you feel attacked, right? This isn't about you're an atheist and, and maybe you're going to eventually finally believe in God. This is, man, I, I believe in God, but I've got major doubts because I'm not seeing fruit in my life, right? And you go before the Lord, listen to what this father says. Jesus said to him, if, um, but if you can do anything, have compassion. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that, a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never into, enter into him again. I love this story. And I love this father. <clears throat> I love this father whose son is hurting. And Jesus says, I can bring healing if you believe. I can bring healing. If you would have faith, if you would have faith, which is so important, if you would have faith, I can bring healing to him. And his response, his father says, in the same breath, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. In this room tonight, I know some of you guys. I know how you're hurting. I know where your struggles are. I know that, yeah, you're in Christ, but you're stuck in the same sin over and over and over again. Right? Belief that maybe He says you're a new creation. I don't feel like a new creation. He says I'm free from sin. I don't feel free from sin. I've got these major doubts. In the midst of those doubts, I want to encourage you do while you doubt, take baby steps. I believe you can free me from sin. I believe you can make me new. I believe you can restore me. I believe you can heal my heart. I believe you're better than this thing the world has to offer. I believe it. Make my heart believe that we do while we doubt. Man, if you are in this room and you are far from the Lord and you've got really smart intellectual doubts, praise God. Uh, My encouragement is that you just keep taking baby steps trusting, okay, maybe this is a safe place. I'm gonna bring on, I'm gonna see what they have to say. Or if you have been a believer for your whole life and have been walking closely, but you're in a season of drought or darkness or frustration or sin or whatever it is, that you say, man, these barriers, God, I believe that you can set me free. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Because what is at stake is life. And what is at stake is a relationship with Christ. I believe, help my unbelief. And that's why we keep moving. That's why we keep taking steps of faith and asking hard questions and wrestling with community that we can trust to love us and not reject us with our hard questions and, and reject us when, we, when they see our sin and when they see our patterns of sin and we trust those people because they represent Christ to us and we keep taking steps because he's so sweet. Because to follow Christ and to walk intimately with him, if we allow these barriers to keep us from that relationship, then brothers and sisters, we're missing out. That's our hope. That's our call. That's our design. Let me pray over you. Father, would we do this? Would we live this out? God, would, um, would we spend the next several weeks being really honest, God, getting really nerdy at times, um, asking hard questions at times, dealing with intellectual objections, Father, dealing with emotional objections, being honest with ourselves that sometimes we just don't want to follow. But Lord, ultimately, Father, we need your Holy Spirit to change us and to grab hold of us. That's what we're asking for in this room. We wanna do our best job of answering hard questions and being honest. But Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to bring about this change, Father, to the person in this room who's been walking with you Lord, who's asking, I believe, help my own belief. To the person who isn't, God, would you grab hold of us and would you continue to move us into a more intimate relationship with you? Because that's where life is. Because it's worth it, Father. Father, we're about to sing a song here, Lord. And would we not just shift into singing a song? Would this be an exercise of our of our obedience to you? Would it be an exercise of that faith? Would it be an exercise of doing something? We're gonna sing a song that proclaims this truth. If If we say it really is true, that if you died and took my place and then rose out of the tomb, Father, that changes everything. So as we sing this in response, Lord, would you help our hearts believe that? Would you help our hearts believe that more and more and more, Father? Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you have stepped into our brokenness. Thank you that we didn't earn this, that we're not Christian and religious enough, that this relationship was bought by Jesus Christ on a cross who was who he said he was and did what he said he did. God, would we surrender to that? And would we believe that more and more and deeper and deeper in a transformative way for your glory in the name of Jesus, amen.